Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part 6 of our current event and weekly Bible study for June 28th, 2009. We're going to continue our study on the Hebrew Roots Movement, the Messianic uh, Zionism study that we're talking about here, Christian Zionism. Continuing, it says, What of the divine inspiration of the Bible? Is Scripture sufficient in itself and considered the inerrant Word of God? Are we, are Peter, Micah, and others correct when they state that we must go back to the Hebrew or Aramaic writings and look at the oral traditions for the interpretation of Scripture? Oral traditions. Yeah, like the Talmud and the Midrash and all those other things. This is what a lot of the Hebrew roots people are stating categorically. Well, why? Because they're saying that the New Testament has been corrupted by this Greek so therefore, we've got to go look at the oral traditions that were written in either Aramaic or Hebrew to properly interpret the corrupt New Testament. That's their implication. That's blasphemous. You see why I'm so fired up over this? This is just We're just scratching the surface right now. There's so much more that we're going to go over regarding this issue. I just, you know... I. It's like God's let me... When I did that tour with the Prophecy Club, I had it up to my eyeballs with this stuff. I mean, it was everywhere infiltrated into the Prophecy Club. The, the places that I went, the, the people that picked me up, and it, it was everywhere. This Hebrew root stuff, which I had already come out of. Another issue that Hebrew roots teachers bring forward is the need to rewrite the English versions of the Word of God with Jewish names as done in the book, holy, quote, Holy to Yahweh. End of quote. That's the name of the book. This book uh, reads, says at one point, this is a quote, which is bringing revelation, illuminating the importance of the Hebrew name of the Father and the Son, magnification of the holy Hebrew roots of Scripture and Christianity, Scriptural truths that reveal many faulty religious doctrines and traditions. Anti-Semitism exposed and shattered. That's another very common theme we're going to discuss. And the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles to a holy God and to one another. Holy to Yahweh author Terry Goldblum Seedman and her husband. Oh good, it's, it's okay. We're, we're getting this book written by this female that is teaching us biblical, it's actually teaching us to doubt the word of God, it sounds like to me, to totally consider the New Testament a corruption. It's, she's saying, desire all, she's desiring all to be searching into the scriptural, pure, holy Hebrew roots of Christianity. End of quote. Their brochure, which is entitled Messianic Revelation, Spiritual Revival, further states, quote, the mighty one, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is wooing a remnant both Jew and Gentile, to be reconciled to him and to one another. The only way I'm going to be reconciled to a Jew spiritually is if that Jew gets saved. I mean, it's not to say that I don't want all the Jews to get saved or that I don't love them or, 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 that, I don't, or that I want them to go to hell because I don't. I love them enough to tell them the truth. But remember, blindness in part has happened to Israel. We just read that verse in, in Romans 11 until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Jacob Prash maintains, he's another big one, maintains that we need the knowledge of the Midrash. Remember, this is part of this oral tradition. The rabbinical commentary on Scripture, which is what they refer to the Midrash here, to rightly understand the Bible. we got to have that Midrash. Many advocates of the Hebrew Roots Doctrine would have us believe that the Talmud, a compendium of oral traditions that is totally and utterly blasphemes Jesus Christ, particularly the Babylonian Talmud, that this is divinely inspired and of benefit to those involved in Judaism. Now, I read you the quotes from the Talmud, some of them. Just the most blasphemous quotes I've ever read. I didn't even like reading them. And they believe that that book, many of them believe, is divinely inspired. And the benefit of those involved in Judaism and the Hebrew Roots Movement and in Christianity. Well, if you think the Talmud is going to benefit you in, in, in um, helping to understand the New Testament, 
you are sadly, unbelievably mistaken and deluded. Just look at the quotes I, I read you. All the unbelievably horrific things they say about Jesus Christ. What evidence is there of the alleged connections between the Talmud, the Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism, high-level Jewish mysticism witchcraft, and Freemasonry? The, what, the Freemasons are involved in this too? Yeah, that, this, it's all tied in with this. While many deny any connections and state that the Kabbalah is not used, connected or promoted, there are facts which indicate otherwise. Many Hebrew roots and quote sacred name advocates. Now, this is a whole other study. These are the people that go around saying, you know, we got to use only the Hebrew names and this and that, and none of the other names apply. And we're going to do a whole other study on that as well, but I'm not going to get into that really today. It's a whole other thing. But many Hebrew roots and sacred name advocates are decrying that the name Jesus Christ is invalid, mistranslated, or unacceptable. Now, again, do you see how much confusion this particular movement breeds? It's all by design of Satan to get you to doubt the word of God, to undermine your faith. So that when times come, instead of having your house built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word, your house is built upon sand because you really don't know what the truth is. Is it what this rabbi says? Is it what the Talmud says? It's just like any other cult. Mormonism, well, is it the Pearl of Great Price? Is it the Book of Mormon? Or is it the Bible? Jehovah Witnesses, well, is it, is it the prophecies of these supposed prophets? Is it the Watchtower magazine, the supposedly divinely inspired, even though it's predicted the end of the world, like, wrong, I don't know how many times? Or is it the Bible? Or my New World Translation? My corrupted New World Translation that the Jehovah Witnesses use? You could go on and on. You could name cult after cult after cult. It's the same deal, different day. Going back to this. So, the Hebrew roots and sacred name advocates are decrying that the name of Jesus Christ is invalid, mistranslated, unacceptable. One has to... Um, one has to ask, which name do these people wish us to use if not the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Which of the numerous sacred names are we to use? Again, God is not the author of confusion. We must also ask, what is the acceptable name of the Father? Many of the groups are promoting or changing or rejecting of the English translation of Jehovah and even Lord, stating that this name is also translated inaccurately. Is their translation on the name which the Theosophists and the Kabbalists call the ineffable, ineffable name or the Tetragrammaton, and should we embrace it? Ooh, boy, now that's a serious implication. Who else is doing this sacred name thing? Theosophists? What, you mean like Madame H.P. Blavatsky who started Theosophy? Who was basically a Luciferian? Who inspired Alice Bailey? Who inspired Benjamin Krem? Who is the Pied Piper of Lord Maitreya? Or devil betray, as I like to refer to him as? Yeah, it's the same one. Same one. Yeah, the theosophists. They're into the sacred name thing too. So are the Kabbalists. The highest level of Jewish witchcraft. They're into the sacred name thing too. So, when you get into this subject, and the ineffable name, and the tetragrammaton, understand the company that you're keeping. Jesus Christ has always worked for me every time I've had demonic encounters and that was the name I used and it works would changing the name of our savior and embracing another name could that become the rejection of Jesus Christ and his salvation there is no other name given among men under heaven, whereby which we must be saved. It's a really important thing when you talk about his name. Do you want to take that chance? Do you want to take that? Now again, this is a whole other study. We're just scratching the surface of certain things. It is imperative that we understand the significance of the sacred name issue 4, John 14, 6. 
Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, the one I just quoted, for there is none other name, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Also, here's another thing. Also promoted is the occult symbol of the hexagram. When I went on tour with the Prophecy Club, that guy that, um, I forget his name now, but he was the guy that supposedly never missed a prophecy. Now, I've got a whole word study on him where we look at that critically. I haven't done that as a study yet because I, I just can't do a study on every single apostate ministry out there. There's, it's, there's, there's not enough time. I have to do studies like this where we're covering a lot of bases. Okay, but his name was Tom. But anyway... He supposedly never... That guy had hexagrams all over everything. I got some... Somebody gave me some of his tapes. Every I saw him on video. He had the hex... He had a beanie. He had the skull cap with the hexagram on the skull cap. He had... His tapes came with hexagrams on them. Hexagrams are the highest, most wicked witchcraft symbol or one of the highest, most wicked witchcraft symbols that you can use. They are literally cast on the ground to summon a demon from another plane of existence. Sometimes pentagrams are used, sometimes hexagrams are used. But hexagram, which is the hexagram, like hex meaning curse, is a six-pointed star. Six. Being the number of man, six. Not a good number. They're obsessed with using the hexagram. Oh, it's, it's the, it's the uh, star of David. David never had nothing to do with that thing. I prove that in the, in the study I do. I mean, just get just key and hexagram a part of the word. And look at the PDF file. Nobody's ever been able to refute that information. It's not my information. It's, it's, it's just out there. It's fact. That issue alone should get us to look at this critically. Why would you want to associate yourself with a religion that embraces one of the most wicked symbols in witchcraft? Now, I understand the Rothschilds had pretty much everything to do to getting that on the Israeli flag. I'm not condemning the whole Jewish race by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. The Rothschilds, who are high-level synagogue of Satan Jews... Remember Jesus talked about, you know, they are of the synagogue of Satan. They call themselves Jews, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Okay, that's the type of, but it says they call themselves Jews, but they are not. But they are of the synagogue of Satan. That's the type of people I'm referencing here. They were the ones that put that hexagram on the Israeli flag. They were the ones that got that onto the flag and, and have adopted it into their culture. But this occult symbol of the hexagram, the seal of Solomon, or what they like to refer to as the Star of David, they, they promote that a lot. Besides removing or changing the name of Jesus Christ, many would eliminate the term Christianity altogether. The Bible says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. But they want to they erase that term. A guy named Yuri Marcus of Nehemiah Trustees Covenant Fund in an email regarding, quote, a vote for Jesus, insists that converted Jews must retain their Jewish identity and refuse the Christian name so as not to offend their fellow Jews. What? what since when do we, did Jesus concern himself with offending the fellow Jews? When he called the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the religious leaders of the day, Serpents and vipers? This is the same spirit that Jesus Christ confronted. And it's just as much of an abomination today as it was back then. It's, it reminds me of like all, the, all the, the, the things that Peter had issues with. Now, I'm not judging Peter, okay? But, you know, like how he sought to not offend the Jews and he was afraid of the Jews. And there was, even after, even after Pentecost, he had issues with that. He was afraid of them of the circumcision. He compromised certain things that he did. Well, that same spirit still exists today. (laughs) 
he goes on to say, this guy, this uh, Yuri Marcus of Nehemiah Trustees Covenant Fund, he says this. He says, a Jew cannot reasonably hope to identify with this metamorphosized name, evidently meaning Jesus Christ, and expect that other Jews are going to want to run in and find out how they too can believe. Our only hope is, re- is to reestablish our Jewish identity in light of our beliefs in the Jewish Messiah. In other words, we must restore the Jewishness to the gospel. That's our only hope, according to this heretic. And remember, this modern-day Judaism bears little resemblance to the Old Testament Levitical religion that the Old Testament laid down. And again, we established that in parts 1 through 4 of this teaching. This quote goes on to say from this guy, I did not say that I would not want to be considered Christian amongst others of the body of Messiah. I only said that with regard to our own people, the Jews, we cannot afford this association. That, that was one of the most spineless things I've ever heard written. I mean, it's almost like he's ashamed of Jesus Christ. If, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in Heaven. Remember Jesus said that? But if you deny me before, before man, I will also deny you before my Father in Heaven. Isn't that what he's doing here? Well, to, to our buddies in the Christian Zionism movement, yeah, yeah, sure, we can, we can um, use the name Jesus Christ. But our, he says our only hope is to reestablish our Jewish identity. And then he goes on to say, I did not say that I would not want to be considered Christian amongst others in the body of the Messiah. This is using this term Christianity. Then he goes on to say, I said that with regard to our own people, the Jews, we cannot afford this association. We can't afford to be associated with the term Christianity is what he just said. This is about as two-faced as you can get. I'm really surprised he would admit saying this. I mean, I can understand him saying this behind closed doors to maybe some of his elite upper echelon followers that have, you know, paid the big money to, to get into the, uh, you know, into the uh, inner circle. But I'm really surprised he would make this statement in public. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do you see how they're seeking to so appease the Jews and not offend them? Well, the Bible says that the preaching of the cross and of Jesus Christ is is offensive. To them that are perishing, it's foolishness to them that are perishing. Doesn't mean we should have given the truth. So, do other Jewish people view Christianity in the same manner? If we embrace the Hebrew roots and traditions, will the Jewish people, people who do not accept Jesus Christ and or the New Testament, then accept us? They look down on us. The Jews are traditionally, the people that are real strict are taught to look on other races as inferior to themselves. They're not gonna, they're they're not wild about us doing this. They're not. Will reconciliation take place between the Jews and Christians? And this is the objective of the Hebrews root. And, and is this objective of the Hebrew roots movement desirable? Whenever compromise is involved, it is never a good thing, particularly on biblical issues. If we have to compromise in order to make another group happy, if we have to compromise biblical issues and things to make, in order to make another group happy, Is that of God? Do the various Jewish groups view the Messianic or Hebrew Roots movement in a favorable way? (laughs) And we're going to see no. If we embrace all the rituals, the ceremonies, the feasts, the beliefs, do we fall under the law? Or, Or become proselytes of Judaism? Where do the Noahide laws fit into the Hebrew Roots doctrine? Now, I've had a lot of people email me about these Noahide laws. 
as well. well. We'll talk about that later. These laws, which are acceptable to Jews and Muslims alike, are intended to govern those who are not born, quote, into the faith. In other words, the blood that flows through their veins, they're not born into this faith. Our bloodline makes us better, is what they believe. Then he goes on to say, we must ask, are these Messianic and Jewish leaders able to now provide truth which has been hidden from the Gentiles and the Christians all this time? Do they hold the knowledge that the rest of us lack as suggested by so many? And this is the carrot. This is the carrot that Satan is dangling out in front of a lot of people in order to get them recruited into this Hebrew Roots Movement stuff. I've seen it. Way too many times. And then what will end up happening is somebody will realize, oh, I've got like a teensy tiny bit of Jewish blood in my veins. Like my, you know, great-great-great-grandpa was Jewish or something. You know? And they think all of a sudden, well, that makes me a Jew and I need to keep all these things and do all these things and keep all the... But let's look at this again. We must ask, are the Messianic and the Jewish leaders now able to provide truth which has now been hidden? What is that? Gnosticism, which means hidden truth. It's also the basis for the word occult, which means hidden knowledge. Occult, hidden knowledge. It's the basis for all cults worldwide. Because you go into the cults, and if you want to advance further, you get more knowledge. It's the basins, basis for the Freemasons, the Freemasonic religion. That's what it's the basis for. So, understand, this is the carrot that Satan is using in this particular movement to try to recruit people into it, into the Judaization, the modern-day Judaization and corruption of Christianity. is his goal. And Gnosticism is the basis for that. I mean, it's, it's the same with almost every religion there is worldwide. Do they hold the knowledge the rest of us lack? Another big key is that you go in there and they start emphasizing everything in Hebrew. Well, I can't read Hebrew. Bingo! But my rabbi can. He can read it. He can interpret it. In fact, i got to have my rabbi, and the Bible says call no man rabbi or father, i got to have my rabbi interpret this for me because I can't read Hebrew. Now they have you over a barrel again. It's like back in Catholicism in the days when they didn't have Bibles that anybody could read, except the priests. The laity couldn't read it. Same thing. Well, and see, I can, I can read this Hebrew, the Torah, and I can interpret it for you. You need me. You need me to interpret the Hebrew oral traditions as well, or whatever Hebrew writings. You need, you, need me to, you need me to know the Hebrew in order to interpret these oral traditions so that we can then interpret the corrupt New Testament is how they view it. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and then maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 Cursed be the man. You don't want to trust in man. Not unless they're not. In, I mean, you don't ever want to trust in man for for your salvation. I mean, if they're going by the word of God and living the word of God, okay. But you want to trust in the word of God, not in a man. And that's what people tend to really do when they get into this movement. Oh, look at the rabbi! He's got his beard going on and the skull cap going on and the shawl, prayer shawl, and he's reading from a real scroll, a real parchment. Oh boy, he looks religious. Man, that's impressive. It doesn't impress me any. I don't want anything to do with any of that. It's bondage. It's the very thing that Jesus Christ died for to pay our sin debt to, so that we wouldn't have to be caught up in this bondage. So have these spiritual leaders been given unique and new insight that they alone are able to dispense? Well, according to them, yes. To those who embrace the Hebrew roots of Christianity, it is this movement is... Is this movement of God, or does it come from something else? These are some of the questions that need to be addressed. The, the next articles will reveal many answers. Now, we posed a lot of questions here, and a lot of them we really didn't give you an answer on. Not fully. Trust me, by the end of this study, we're going to have addressed all of these issues thoroughly. 
we're kind of laying the groundwork here. The next articles will reveal many answers, which are lead, which will lead to an understanding of the nature of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Now, remember, every quote that I read is referenced. This is posted already on the internet in my PDF files. It'll say, it'll be under uh, Hebrew Roots Messianic Christianity. Christian Zionism Warning Part 1 and Part 2. 106 pages total. You can follow along. And um, uh, the, the website, if you really want to research this, I mean, in depth, this subject, the best website that I know of, and that's what this report is from, is www.seekgod, S-E-E-K-G-O-D, dot C-A www.seekgod, one word, dot C-A. It is the best site for documenting and exposing this heresy that I know of. There is no way you're going to go up there and even probably in a year get through all of their articles. It is more proof, more overwhelming proof. I had somebody email me, uh, uh, dear brother email me, asked me about Michael Rood. R-O-O-D. He's one of the main guys in this Hebrew Roots thing. <laughs> there are so much up there that, that were, I mean, quotes from him in articles, reports, documenting his actions and exposing him. It would have probably taken me three or four days to get through them all, if I read them all. Huge exposés, just on this one man. And again, if you go up to this website that I just mentioned, and you can the various Hebrew roots, most likely you're going to have a boatload of information regarding that person. Okay, so if we go further, so the next articles will reveal many answers. My conclusions about this movement are based on my belief in the inerrancy of the Word of God alone, the King James Bible, and that there is salvation in only one name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, amen. That has to be the foundation of this. See, that's the that's our foundation upon which we're going to base the information on the study on that, what he just said. Your foundation has to be sure. If you're going to argue from a, a particular uh, biblical viewpoint, you better have your foundation as being set in stone, sure, a sure foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. What does that imply? That implies humbling yourself. Which, (laughs) this Hebrew Roots movement, to me, is the opposite of humility. It's it's seeking this hidden Gnostic knowledge and, and, and becoming better than others. Whether they want to admit it or not, uh, you know. I know that if I had went into it, I would think, I know that when I was a kooky Pentecostal and charismatic, I thought I was better than other. Come on! I mean, I didn't come out and say it and say, well, I am better than thou. I didn't act like that, but deep down, I felt like I had things they didn't have, and, you know, therefore I got a closer relationship with God, and, you know, the wheels start turning in your head. It's human nature. I'm I'm just saying, that's what happens. As we evaluate the teachings of Hebrew roots or Messianic movements, we we must understand these teachings in their historical context. Clearly, there are many people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, whose hearts desire to follow Him, serve Him, and share Him. However, we would be naive to think that all who say they belong to Him, meaning Jesus Christ, are true believers. Jesus Christ said, many will come unto me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these mighty works in your name and haven't we cast out devils and done these things? And he will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. They were never saved. He didn't say, well, you were saved and you lost it. He said, I never knew you. I can't think of a better uh, sect of pseudo-Christianity than this movement I'm serious. I mean, I think of this movement when I think of that. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't be saved and be part of this movement. I'm not saying that. But it's not where you want to stay if you're there. That's for sure. 
Seeking the truth about the Hebrew roots of Christianity means carefully weighing all pertinent information according to the word of God. Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, how do we know the will of the Lord? You study the word of God. Okay, so now we're going into part two. And again, this, this study is called To Embrace Hebrew Roots. Part two. And this is entitled The Bible and the Talmud. Personal note. Now this is from the author. Although the research on Hebrew roots issue has encompassed material that I have found disturbing, it is it has in no way has changed my feelings about those involved, especially the Jewish people. I hold no anger, resentment, or animosity toward any. Now I don't either, but what I hold animosity toward is the aspect of this movement that is taking people to hell. That's what I hold righteous indignation for. I don't want them to go... I mean, this is a matter of life and death, literally, for a lot of people that are involved in this. Um, but as far as the people themselves go, amen to what this guy's saying. However, I have felt... a de- Now, if you are a wolf in sheep's clothing, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. If Satan can appear as an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers, that his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness. These are ones that have, a lot of these are ones that have no true love for the sheep. Why? Because they're hirelings. They're doing it for the hire. They're doing it for money. For filthy lucre. For mammon. Going further, he says, however, I have a a deep, uh, I have a felt, a deep sense of grief because of many things. What I feel very strongly is that all the issues addressed were dealt with at the cross. In other words, a lot of these issues that the Hebrew roots people bring up were dealt with at the cross. Wanting to bring us back into the bondage of the law and into all these extra-biblical things. These were dealt with at the finished work of the cross, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, again, it's what all cults do. That's not good enough for them. They've got to have more. He goes on to say, Truly, His grace is sufficient. What I do have is a strong sense of desire to see deceptions regardless of who propagates them exposed. And that's a desire we should all have as Christians. Why? Because you don't want to see somebody be destroyed for lack of knowledge or be deceived. Do you? The issue is very large and complex. That's why this will be the largest study I've ever done. Not all that is said about one group's views can necessarily be applied to all. However, an overview must be established, and I understand there are certain sects of this movement that are not near as bad as others. I, I acknowledge that right now, okay? I understand that. I've even corresponded with some people that say, we, we are this, but we don't do this, 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 this. I mean, you know, so bear that in mind. However, an overview must be established and various thoughts and attitudes tested to Scripture. I do not necessarily... Now, this is what this man's saying, the author. I do not necessarily agree with the theological positions of some sources. I quote from... Listen, in today's day and age, there's no ministries that are all on the same page, pretty much. Everybody's got a, a slight variation. Are they grounded and rooted, though, in the solid rock of Christ Jesus and His Word, the King James Bible? No, but the Bible says that we see through a glass, but darkly, but then face to face. None of us have it all figured out. This isn't a matter of that, though. This isn't a matter of some little doctrinal difference. This is a matter of major, huge things that really what we're seeing here is another gospel being brought to us. This is the gospel of bondage bringing us back into law and into all these extra-biblical things. And the Bible says that if an angel or any other person preach unto you these things, let him be accursed. These people that are bringing you another gospel in the Hebrew Roots Movement are actually under a curse. And if you fall under them, you're going to bring yourself under a curse. Don't let them blind you to the truth. Uh, I do not necessarily agree with the theological positions of some sources I quote from. In fact, some I strongly disagree with. However, I have tried to establish all pertinent facts with at least one or more other sources, each saying the same or similar things, and then have chosen which stated the issue with the most clarity. 
In other words, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. Overview. This article explores the teaching of the Talmud in relation to the Bible. Now, I know we've covered that some, but we're going to get a little bit more into that now as well. Uh, It evaluates the push for other transcripts other than the received Greek text. Okay, now, remember, they're wanting us to get away from the received Greek text which underlies the King James Bible. Okay? That's what they're wanting us to get away from. What do you think? Do you think Satan might be behind that? How did Satan come to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Genesis 3. What did he do? He questioned God's word. What did he say? He said, Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? That's how, he, that's how he went to Eve. He's not ever changed his tactics. And that's the main premise by which this, really, this, this cultic movement, it's the same strategy. And I mean, they really go after the, 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 um, the received text of the, of the New Testament. They really go after it. Stronger than almost any other group out there. So, what this report does is, is it evaluates the push for other transcripts other than the received Greek text and evaluates the teachings, for example, of Peter Micus and Jacob Prash and other advocates of the Hebrew translations who postulate that the Greek manuscripts hold error and are inferior. It evaluates the need for these extra-biblical oral tradition books like the Midrash, the Mishnah, the Haggadah, the Halakha, and the use of the, quote, ancient wisdom verses the teaching of the New Testament and the sufficiency of Scripture with the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Oh, verses, I'm sorry, all these things, verses, the teaching of the New Testament and the sufficiency of Scripture with the teaching of the Holy Spirit, okay? Which is what we should be relying on, not all these other things that were mentioned. It shows who the scribes and the Pharisees were. The Bible, the biblical view of oral traditions and the difference between the New Testament beliefs versus the global halakha and the acceptance of the oral traditions. Second Peter 1, 20-21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. But see, that's what they're going to try to convince you. Because, hey, if they can convince you the underlying Greek of the received text, which underlines the King James Bible, if that's corrupt, well then you have to have somebody to interpret it for you, right? Because if it's been corrupted, then we need somebody to interpret it. But what is that? That They're basically saying, I have this private interpretation of Scripture, and you have to come to me to get the private interpretation, where the Word of God says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What of the Bible? And, and, the, and Jesus Christ teaches that when he says, it is expedient that I go, for when I will go, I will send the Comforter. And, and all things that I have taught you, I, he will cause these things to be brought into remembrance. The Holy Spirit, by reading the Word of God, teaches you the Bible. Okay, so you don't need all these other extra biblical te- Now, I'm not saying that a good pastor and these types of things, in a godly, in a godly fashion, in an order, can't greatly facilitate that process. Okay, but we're talking about going way outside the Bible. We're talking about totally throwing out the New Testament, pretty much. And having some man interpret it for you, who, who, a lot of times, if he's a full-blown rabbi, hates Jesus Christ. Of course he wants to throw the New Testament out. Depends how far you go with this, you know? I mean, again, there's, there's many degrees to this, so, bear that in mind. So, what of the Bible? Is scripture sufficient in itself and considered by the Hebrew Roots Ministries to be the inerrant word of God? Are the Old and New Testaments are the Old and New Testament the complete revelation of God's will for salvation of man? Do they constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice? These are questions he's asking. Or, is it true, as stated by Peter Micus, that we must return to the Hebrew and or Aramaic writings and the oral traditions of Judaism for the New Testament doctrine? That's what they're saying. Man, can you imagine? I mean, if you were saved into this and this is all you ever knew... You would, all you would know about the New Testament would be confusion right off the bat. You would never know. You would never have anything to really 
pin your faith on, to, to, to establish your faith. It would all be totally corrupted from the very beginning. So, this is by Peter Micus. These are some quotes from him. And it's entitled, Is the New Testament Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek? Quote, Since existing New Testament manuscripts are Greek, written to express Hebraic concepts, why be limited to the Greek or English translations when we have Hebrew? The New Testament is the pattern of the Jewish traditional work of the Torah, the Mishnah, the Haggadah, the Halakha, the Talmud, and the Midrash, but inspired by God himself for the common people. Now, what a blasphemous, unbelievably blasphemous statement that he just makes right off the bat. And if you didn't catch it, he said, the New Testament is the pattern of the Jewish traditional work of the Torah. Now, I don't have so much of a problem of one part of the Bible confirming another. Okay? But then he goes on to say these other things that have nothing to do with the Bible, like the Mishnah, the Haggadah, the, the Halakha, the Talmud, which is where you know we get all those blasphemous things that are said about Jesus Christ, primarily, is in the Babylonian Talmud. He's saying, but inspired by God himself for the common people. So the Talmud's inspired by God himself. And, and the New Testament is the pattern of the Jewish traditional work of the Talmud. Let's just key on the Talmud, because he, he mentioned that in that. God is not the author of confusion. The Talmud's one of the most blasphemous things ever written, particularly the Babylonian. So, he's already established himself to be a liar, or a lying spirit is speaking through him. Already. We already know that right off the bat. He goes on to say, these Hebraic works, as well as the inspired scriptures, were quoted from by Jesus and all the writers of the New Testament. To have full comprehension, we must read scriptures in the proper Hebraic context. Oh, really? Wow. The New Testament is... Where does it say that in the New Testament? Oh, it doesn't. Anyway, the New Testament is Hebrew, Aramaic, and not Greek or English in origin or thought. Well, that's his opinion. Most all the Judaic writings have been preserved for us and now translated into proper English directly from Hebrew, as well as the ex explaining the true Hebraic meaning. I think they've got their own Bible too, the Jerusalem Bible, which is a corruption. It's actually a translation of the uh, revised version of 1881, which the two occultists, Westcott and Hort, spawned from the Catholic manuscripts, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. That Jerusalem Bible spawns from that corrupt tree. Just, just so you know. In an email dated 1999, James Trim of the Society of the Advancement of the Nazarene Judaism. Well, let me just make sure I haven't skipped a page here. Yeah. Okay, so this James Trim says, he responded to questions regarding the sources of manuscripts for the Semitic New Testament project. Oh, good. What we need now are more Bible versions, uh, including the hundreds that are out there. So he's, this James Trim, who is part of the Society for the Advancement of Nazarene Judaism, sounds good to me, I mean already, he responded to questions regarding the sources of manuscripts for the Semitic New Testament Project, or the SNTP, on which he is working. He says, quote, It is such a delight to spend so much time buried in the text, in its original language. The SNTP is based on Hebrew and Aramaic rather than the Greek manuscripts. The Aramaic text makes much more sense than the Greek text. Oh, good, well, I'm so glad he's got this figured, figured out for us. This is just one example from the project which I believe will revolutionize New Testament understanding. So, in other words, the, the King James Bible is not good enough. We've got to have all these other interpretations uh, as though there's not enough Bible versions out there, we need more. Kind of funny, you've got the King James, which evolved from, you know, the um, majority text, the Byzantine, the received text. you got that one Bible there, okay? And then you've got all the other Bibles that came up via another route, primarily through the corrupt version of Westcott and Hort of 1881 that I mentioned, the New Testament, the New World Translation, the American Standard Version, all of these spawned from that corrupt version that these two occultists put together in 1881 that were inspired from two Catholic, corrupt Catholic manuscripts that ultimately inspired their way back to Alexandria, Egypt. 
And that's where all these other ones spawned the, into the hundreds of translations. Again, God is not the author of confusion. Going further, and again, if you want to hear about the King James teachings, just key in Bible or King James in my keyword search box on my homepage and access the PDF file that goes along with it and listen to the studies and, you know. Going further, Second Peter 3.16 says, As also in all epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. You don't want to mess with the word of God. You don't want to mess with the word of God. Just go to the end of the book, in Revelation, the second to last verse, and read what it says. If you take out these the um, words of the book of this words of this prophecy, I will take out your part out of the book of life. Uh, and again, that's what they're doing. I, this is not something I would want to mess with, but they are. And um, that verse, Second Peter three sixteen, that I just quoted, is pretty appropriate regarding that. Orthodox scholars agree that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The New Testament writings were composed in Greek. Now these are all um, reference quotes. The Unger's Bible Dictionary states, despite the critical claim that Matthew wrote the Gospel in Aramaic, this contention has never been proved. If there was an Aramaic original, it disappeared at a very early age. The Greek Gospel, which is now the Church's heritage, was almost beyond doubt written in Matthew's lifetime. Here's another quote. By whom the Gospel Matthew was given in our present Greek form is unknown, but probably by himself. The consensus of critical scholars is that it is not a mere translation, but an original composition. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does the word sanctify mean? It means to be made holy and set apart. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That's how we're made. We're sanctified. By the washing of the water of the word. Okay? What washing? It's like, it's like spiritual cleansing. Sanctifying us. Being made holy and set apart. Chaim Maccabee, grandson to the famous Rabbi Ham Zundel Maccabee, propounds the view of Peter Micus, who we've quoted, and other Hebrew roots advocates, that the Gospels were written in an era of extreme prejudice and hatred toward the Jews. And that is this anti-Semitism was reflected in the New Testament. Oh, so again, that's another reason for them to hate the New Testament. Why? Because it condemns the the Jewish race, to a certain extent, it does. Corporately, when they said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas the murderer, let Jesus' blood be upon us and our children, they brought a curse upon themselves that has really existed to this day. Does that mean I think I'm better? No. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Anybody has the opportunity to reject Jesus Christ... And I did a whole study on this. The affliction of the Jewish you know, race. If, if you just can Jew or whatever, you'll find it. But they don't like the New Testament because of what it exposes, of what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees and Sadducees. What, you know, all of these things that indict the Jews from a semi-corporate level. Now I understand the apostles were all Jews. And, and that's how the gospel first... The Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. Okay, But he did have followers. And they were the ones that started modern day Christianity. Okay, So I'm not condemning the whole Jewish race or whatever. But you can understand why somebody like a religious Jew wouldn't like the New Testament. And they could say, oh, it's anti-Semitic. It'll be one of the reasons that it'll be considered a hate crime. To probably possess the word of God at some point, because, oh, it's anti-Semitic, oh, it's anti-gay. All the more reason for them to, you know, try to do away with it. So, this Haim Maccabee um, impugns the accounts of Mark and Luke. Now, remember, he's one of the, he's one of the uh, guys in this Hebrew Roots movement thing. And he says, the Gospel of Mark the gospel in which the lines of policy were laid down by the Gentile Christian church, a policy of condemnation of the Jews as an accused people. So what he's saying is the word of God, the New Testament, as we have it in the form of the, of the uh, particularly the King James Bible, is a lie. It's anti-Semitic. 
Then he goes on to say, What has been the history of the Christian church since the death of Jesus? The bulk of the New Testament, which purports to give the history, is the Acts of the Apostles. But this Gentile Christian composition, written about 100 AD by Luke, giving a Gentile Christian slant to the events of those years, by reading between the lines of Acts, by reading between the lines, okay, he says, by following, using a sub- supplementary sources such as Josephus and the Talmud, and early Christian historians, we can re- reconstruct the true history of the early church. Am I getting through to you? This is one of the main guys in, in this Hebrew Roots movement. He's saying this. Basically saying, throw out your, your Greek New Testament because it's been corrupted. It's anti-Semitic. And if you read between the lines of Acts... And then follow supplementary sources, this is what he's saying, such as Josephus, the Talmud. Now remember the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud? The ones that blasphemes Jesus like no other thing I've ever read? Yeah, that. And early Christian historians. In other words, we have to have all these extra biblical things. Then we can reconstruct the true history of the early church. Oh good, I am so glad that you came along and straightened me out. And brought me into total, utter confusion and are trying to take my soul to hell, because that's what this boils down to. These people are sent by Satan, are demonically infested, and they are of the father of the devil, and of his works they will do. That's what I see. I see this guy trying to take people to hell. Death and hell. That's what I see Satan using him as. I don't view this as some little light issue. You question the word of God, you, 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 you call the word of God untrue, you say you have to have the Talmud to interpret it, you, sir, are a blasphemer. The Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you and all of your ilk. I pray to God, if it be possible, your soul be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. May the fear of God be upon you for saying such a thing as that. Do you, you, you have no fear of God. The scripture tells us many times that the word of God is pure. I I quoted this verse, I'll quote it again. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God's promise to preserve his words from this generation forever. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89, I believe. Well, What you want is your Bible in heaven matching the Bible you're reading here on earth. Right? Well, I I already stated the thing about there's one version that came up one way, and there's hundreds of versions that came up the other way through the corrupt Catholic manuscripts of Westcott and Hort, the cultists, that hung out with Charles Darwin and went to seances and had a club called the Ghostly Guild and the Hermes Club. You know... Anyway, I'm going to go ahead. That's all I've got for today. I'm going to stop there today, and we're going to pick up next week with this study. And I have no idea how many parts this is going to go, but um, it's necessary. So I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you, Lord God, for your truth. And thy word is truth. I pray to God that your name be glorified, Lord God, through my listeners. I just, I pray to God that you would use us mightily in the days to come for your glory, that your fear would be upon us and upon those that we deal with on a daily basis. I pray to God you give my listeners favor in the sight of God and men, that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, that we would be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth, We love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.